Listener production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It's Monday the 29th of November, a day where the world is shuddering at the emergence of a new COVID variant, Omicron. It's spreading around the world and health authorities are trying to work out how dangerous it really is and how effective our current vaccines will be against it. More on that in our headlines. And in our briefing, we're talking about Western Australia. Now, I guess since we started The Briefing, we've talked a lot about you in Western Australia, but now we want to hear from you. We've actually asked you to get in touch and tell us what it's been like living in Western Australia throughout the pandemic and also how you're feeling about the tough border policy heading into Christmas. Even Queensland, the state with the other sort of tough approach on borders is opening up before Christmas. So we'll find out how WA people are feeling. G'day, Simon here. It's bollocks. For those of us with family abroad, it's really starting to affect mental health. It's time to open up to the country and the world again. So that's what Simon thinks. You'll hear from more WA listeners to the briefing in just a moment. Um, First, here are today's headlines, starting with all the news on the new variant with Katrina Blouse. So yeah, Tom, the news no one wanted. Omicron is here in Australia with two return travellers in Sydney confirmed as having this new strain. So both travellers were fully vaccinated and asymptomatic, which is quite interesting. They'd recently travelled from South Africa and they were among 260 others on that flight that came in from Doha on Saturday night. Everyone on the Qatar Airlines flight that brought those travellers to Sydney has been ordered to get tested and isolate for 14 days. Yeah, and around the world, there have been 13 cases discovered in the Netherlands, seven possible cases in Israel, and they've also found cases in Denmark, the United Kingdom, Germany, Italy, Czech Republic and Hong Kong. And I expect, depending on when you're listening to this, that list could be growing. So here's what this all means. For borders and quarantine so far, nine newspapers are reporting authorities in New South Wales and Victoria are considering requiring international arrivals to isolate again for two weeks, either in a hotel or at home. Yeah, so that's still speculation. So we'll see how that goes. Um, What they have done straight away in New South Wales and Victoria, which were the first states to open their borders, They've brought in a 72-hour isolation requirement for arrivals, even those who are fully vaxxed. So um, that's not hotel quarantine, that's self-isolation at home for those arrivals. Other states, including WA and South Australia, have boosted interstate border rules in response to this new variant, putting 14-day quarantine orders in place for travellers from high-risk areas in other states. And the government's moved pretty quickly on flights from um, those Southern African countries. So um, they've suspended flights from those countries for two weeks. That includes um, South Africa, obviously, Zimbabwe, Botswana, Namibia, and a bunch of others. And Israel seems to have gone the hardest, Katrina. They've completely closed their borders to all foreigners for two weeks. Yeah, so Britain has also imposed a travel ban on several Southern African countries. Many other countries have also banned air travel to and from South Africa, including the United States, which curiously, at the time of recording this, hasn't got any of this new strain in its country yet, or at least hasn't found any, and other European countries and even some Asian nations. Let's go back and give you more information on where this variant came from and what we know about it so far. 
The World Health Organization, as they named it a variant of concern, said that the first infection was on November 9, so it's been circulating for about three weeks. At that time, daily case numbers in South Africa were less than 1,000 in the last few weeks. They have quickly climbed to around 4,000 a day. So not huge numbers, Tom, but growing quickly. So far, we should add there have been no deaths reported from this new variant. Yeah, if you look at the South African case numbers, the Delta wave, they were up around, uh, it peaked at almost 20,000 a day. So they're at around 4,000 a day at the moment. So it's still nowhere near the Delta wave, but it could move very quickly and it has so far. In heartening news so far, because we are looking for some good news here, the South African doctor, who was one of the first to suspect a different coronavirus strain, says symptoms of this Omicron variant have so far been mild and can be treated at home. Uh, Angelique Coetzee said the most common symptoms she's seen have been severe fatigue, headaches, aches and pains, but it's been really different from Delta because patients have not reported a loss of smell or taste and there's been no major drop in oxygen levels with this new variant. Yeah, she also said that the experience so far with this variant is that it affects uh, younger people, 40 or younger. And health experts say low vaccination numbers in developing countries are leading to new variants emerging. While there are millions of people contracting COVID-19 in Africa, where there's almost uh, almost a zero level of vaccination, uh, the world will continue to be threatened by new variants uh, of this very dangerous virus. That's Dr Omar Korshid, who's the president of the Australian Medical Association. So South Africa has a double vax rate of 24%. Um, so that's an interesting dynamic in all of this, isn't it, Katrina? Yeah. That, um, we were warned about this, that the mm. developing countries that didn't have as high vaccination rates could spark new variants, which would then affect the rest of the world. I guess the next big question everyone is asking is how effective are the vaccines that we've already had in our arms against this new variant? Well, here's what we know about that. Not much yet. (laughs) We do have scientists working around the clock looking at that. But the good news is the manufacturers can quickly adapt their existing formulas. Moderna has mobilised hundreds of its staff to study this new variant. The vaccine maker says it could roll out a reformulated vaccine against Omicron early next year. Pfizer says it's hoping it'll have some more info on this variant within a fortnight. It would be able to tailor a new variant-specific vaccine within 100 days. So, Katrina, how are you feeling about it? The new variant. I'm okay. Yeah? I'm I'm okay. I'm alert but not alarmed. Mm. Yeah, me too. I think in the first few days of this kind of news, we all have this kind of um, PTSD kind of response, mm. thinking about going back to square one and how we could be at March 2020 with all this doom and gloom and, and new waves of deaths. But so far, there's obviously that heartening news we mentioned that it's not killing lots of people or anyone so far. And that the vaccines, you know, there's a good chance that they will work or they could be adapted to work better against this variant. And look, so far in in Queensland, where I am, they've said that it won't affect our state reopening at this stage on 17th Mm. of December. Looking at the UK, they've just reintroduced a mask mandate again. And maybe that's where we could be heading, given Mm. our vaccinations across the country are so high. So perhaps, who knows, maybe we'll go back to wearing masks and may not have to go into full lockdown again. Yeah, I think it'll be an anxious um, few days and weeks as we learn more about it. Um, but yeah, fingers crossed that we can keep this under control with our current or, or slightly adjusted settings. 
On to other news, the federal government will this week introduce to Parliament anti-trolling laws which would force social media companies to reveal the identities of anyone who abuses others online. Yes, very ambitious laws here from the government. be interesting to see if they could actually pull this off. They are trying to get the social media companies to collect the personal details of current and new users, all of them, to allow the courts to access their identity so they can launch defamation cases. Yeah, so this is the first time laws like this have been introduced anywhere in the world. Um, It would also change who is responsible for defamatory posts from the organisations that run the pages, like news outlets, to the social media companies themselves. And there's been two hectic crime stories in the last 24 hours. Firstly, a man in Wollongong went on a shooting spree. He had a long arm firearm with him and was taking a number of random shots uh, at vehicles in the area. Assistant Commissioner Joseph Kassar from New South Wales Police speaking there. Uh, I don't know if you saw the video on the news mm. last night, Tom, but this man was dressed in black. He was walking along a street in the suburb of Windang, firing a gun at vehicles and pedestrians. It looked really scary. Uh, the alleged shooter entered a shop and took the owner hostage before surrendering to authorities. Yeah, and then police searched local businesses for explosives. Thankfully, they didn't find any and no one was injured. Um, police are yet to establish why he did this. And a woman in Cairns is alleged to have lit a fire in her room to get out of hotel quarantine. That fire then engulfed the entire hotel. Yeah, more than 160 people were evacuated from this 11-storey building in the Cairns CBD um, as flames burst out of the top floor balcony. Because those people were quarantining when they had to evacuate and spill onto the streets. So it's not known whether any of them even had COVID. Uh, Authorities say the blaze has left the building significantly damaged. That 31-year-old mother of two has been charged with arson and she will face court today. All right, Katrina, we'll catch you later. Jan Fran's about to join us as we speak to the people of Western Australia. It is definitely time for the WA borders to open. It's really not fair for us to be not able to see our families and friends and to be giving up all of our plans. And I would really like to be able to go see my family when things go wrong and I don't have to have permission from the government to go back to Western Australia from Victoria. Hello, it's Jan Fran here, and that was briefing listener Rochelle, a West Australian currently living in Victoria. Now, she won't be able to see family and friends this Christmas because WA's borders will still be closed to them until WA is double-dosed at 90%. That is, people over the age of 12. Now, that's not likely to happen until late January or even possibly early February. I understand there will be disappointment for some. I acknowledge some people will be frustrated they may not be able to be reunited with family from New South Wales or Victoria over Christmas. But as difficult as it is, it is for the right reasons. It's about following the health advice and keeping Western Australia safe. So as Mark McGowan, the Premier, said there, this mostly affects travellers from New South Wales and Victoria. New South Wales still considered high risk, Victoria still considered extreme risk, and South Australians will now have to self-isolate for 14 days going into WA. It's an interesting one, isn't it, Jan? Like, WA's had a really different experience of the pandemic. Yeah, and look, it has divided opinion. I mean, so far you've heard from briefing listener Rochelle and Simon at the top of the show who weren't happy about this, but a lot of people Mm. in WA do feel like it is the right thing to do. 
Here's a WA listener called Nicole. Here's what she told us. While I'm desperate to visit my family over east, I ultimately think Premier McGowan will be able to sleep at night knowing he has done all that he can to prevent people from dying, and I can't fault him for that. That's Nicole. So great to hear from you, WA Briefing listeners. Loving this. Jackie also agreed with Nicole. An opening of the borders um, that could lead to a potential outbreak at Christmas time. That would just be horrendous in the hospital systems when everyone's on leave and the hospital systems are really stretched as it is. Opening up those borders past mid-January, past that holiday period, uh, that makes sense. All right, thanks for that one, Jackie. Great to hear some of your opinions. Let's dive deeper into some of the big questions facing WA as you hit this very interesting point of the pandemic. Jenna Clark has a good sense of the pulse of WA. She's the deputy editor of their main newspaper, The West Australian, co-host of Triple M Breakfast Perth as well. Jenna, thanks for joining us. So much freedom, so little lockdown, but such tight borders. What's it been like to be a Western Australian living in Western Australia over the last 18 months? Well, uh, guys, I think the uh, vaccine commander, the state emergency coordinator and the police commissioner who has uh, three jobs at this point in time, Chris Dawson said it best, WA has been living in a different paradigm for the past two years (laughs) where we haven't even, we've worn masks probably once. We still have no idea how far the two metre rule is and life's been pretty good in the uh, the Republic of West Australia because (laughs) COVID's barely touched us. Oh my God, you've worn masks once. That must be nice. Yeah, we had a snap lockdown in January and then once again in March for three days. And West Australians are nothing but if super compliant. So masks came on, we shut down for about three days and then uh, Bob's your uncle. You guys have had sort of the kinds of freedoms that we could only dream about over here in New South Wales and also in Victoria and parts of Queensland where, you know, we've been in and out of lockdowns. But now the lockdowns, over in those states, uh, certainly easing. Mm. Queensland's going to open up before Christmas. So how are people in WA feeling about the border policy now? I think it's been really interesting because it's kind of like a two-speed economy where there are people that have a life outside of the borders of Western Australia and that's sort of uh, rankling their their heckles of people that don't ever have to leave Western Australia because it is one of the most isolated places in, in the world. And a lot of people, specifically older people, have never left WA. We mm. did a talk back uh, in, I think it was like April, and we said, have you ever left the state? And we were <laughs> overwhelmed by the amount of people that said, no, nah, never left. And we're like, not even even to Bali, like that's a northern <laughs> suburb. And they're like, nah, never been. No, no, don't, no need to go there. Wow. Um, but I think the big issue now, and I think we're definitely seeing over the weekend, we had 10,000 people march in some random freedom, anti-mandate, anti-vaccine rally in Forest Chase, which, which is in the middle of the Perth CBD, where people are just, I think what the narrative has been for the past two years has been one of fear because we've been told to fear this virus because we haven't really seen the worst of it here. We haven't experienced at the worst of it. So people are undoubtedly pretty uncertain about, oh, but now we're being told to get this vaccine and everyone's doing their own research in inverted commas. Mm. And it's causing a little bit of angst uh, in terms of people getting vaccinated because obviously Premier Mark McGowan said, we're not going to open fully until late Jan, early Feb, when we're at 90% fully vaccinated, 12 plus. So are most people still supporting them even at this point, you know, and and will that remain the case at, at Christmas when everyone else has their freedoms too. But, you know, some of those families, perhaps the perhaps a big minority of, of Western Australians are living with those restrictions on the border. 
I think it's going to be interesting week by week. I, I can kind of see their their stance sort of like dipping in terms of popularity. And that's purely anecdotal because like what you see on the street, what you see in letters to the editor published in, in the daily newspaper and stuff like that. And I think a lot of people are hurting because they just want to have the same rights that others have around the world now, which is not having to leave and have to apply to the cops to get back to your home state if you do want to come back to WA. I think it's going to be interesting come next Saturday, December 4 is D-Day when we are predicted to hit the 80% double dose vaccination target Mm. for 12 plus. And that's when uh, Mark McGowan has said that he will then release a specific date for when borders will reopen. Interestingly, Chris Dawson frontline headed up a breakfast meeting and I don't know whether it was like some type of Freudian slip, but he was asked when borders will reopen and he accidentally let slip late Jan, which would probably coincide with the Ashes test that is set to take place <laughs> here in, in Perth because cricketers don't want to uh, quarantine. So it may just all serendipitously happen that uh, we hit double dose next Saturday and then we're told Jan 12's your date, kids. But safe to say most people back the Premier, they think he's getting the balance right on most of these questions. I think so. Look, I, there's been some pretty alarming news out where you see, you know, it's some uh, some violent threats made mm. uh, allegedly towards the Premier and his family. Uh, he's had to close his electorate office, in, uh, which is about 40k south of Perth in a suburb called Rockingham. That's had to close due to security threats. I honestly think that there's probably a 50-50 feeling at this point in time. I think a lot of people are frustrated because some of us are double-dosed and we're ready to go, like we're ready to go and rejoin the world. Mm. But then there are still some people out there that are like, oh, I just haven't had a chance to sort of get vaccinated. I mean, Mark McGowan, I think there was one point in this year where he had an almost 90% approval rating, which is unheard of. That's reserved for rock stars and dictators, frankly. <laughs> Do you reckon like he'll be able to sort of sustain those high levels of popularity? Because the people of WAC to quite like the hard borders. That's why he's been so popular. Yeah, but I think he's tapping into something, Jan, in terms of like secessionism is nothing new in WA. Like mm. we had a failed bid in the 30s where the only thing that really uh, come a cropper was when they sent them to the UK to appeal to the House of Commons to say, hey guys, we're going to go it alone. And then they got stitched up by a Labor government saying that's not actually going to happen. So there's always been this underlying thread of like, we're different to those on the East Coast. Some chip on our shoulders where we're different. The East Coast don't care about us and we don't care about them. We just live our own lives and stuff stuff like that. So I think people have appreciated the rhetoric around some of the COVID mechanisms that he's used. So let's talk about the vaccine mandate. It's the strongest in the country. 75% of your workforce, you know, 1.1 million workers out of 1.4 in the total labour force. It's um, obviously drawn a pretty strong reaction, some of those violent threats, which are horrific, but are they just some freak outliers or is there a lot of backlash to this mandate policy? I think the government have liked to call it, it's been a bit of a, it's a loud minority and that's the rhetoric that they're using at this point in time. When push comes to shove, when you find out that if you don't get vaccinated, you're going to lose your livelihood, I think it's going to force a lot of people to think about what's next in terms of if they leave their job, say, in the health sector where you have to be, you are mandated mm. to be vaccinated by December 1st and say, so I'm going to go get a job elsewhere. Well, come January 31, you won't be able to get a job in any other sector because the majority of us will have to be vaccinated. Let's talk about federal politics and some of the federal seats in WA ahead of the election, which is happening next year. Um, Christian Porter, obviously this year, it's been a very tumultuous year for him. He's resigned from the ministry. There's been those allegations against him. Um, That's dogged the government for a while. Do you think he'll be able to retain 
his WA seat of Pearce because he says he has no plans to stand aside at the next election. Yeah, but there is those rumblings, obviously, that he does want to sort of leave and then go and apply for the bar in New South Wales, which would be really interesting because even before he entered uh, politics, he was uh, a lawyer over in WA. So I don't know whether he's sort of planting the seed to make that exit a little bit softer if he does decide to leave. But I think Pearce is definitely going to be a seat to watch. I understand that all of these allegations that have happened, all of the issues that have happened with the blind trust and things like that, Mm. the defamation suit, it's all very highbrow when it comes to talking about those issues. And you just sort of think, I just hope that when the campaign does start, all of us in the media get out to Pierce and start vox popping like mad, because I think it's all going to come down to what people think on the ground. And what about when you have ScoMo kind of going up against McGowan, you know, whenever ScoMo seems to criticise your COVID policies, McGowan slam dunks him basically, and he's Mm. so much more popular and he's got the state behind him. Do those sort of public spats, do you think they're going to cost the coalition votes at the federal election? Absolutely. Labor would be remiss not to replicate exactly what they did with the state election back in February and say uh, every candidate will not be your Labor candidate for the ALP. It will be your Mark McGowan representative in federal parliament, enter XYZ here, because he's so popular. And that's why I think you saw ScoMo basically say, look, we don't want to pick a fight with state and territory leaders in those states like Queensland and Western Australia about mandates because it's not popular and it's going to cost us votes ultimately when we get there. All right, Jenna, tell me one final thing. Are you going to do it? Are you you guys going to do it this year? Are you going to do it next year? Are you going to secede from the Federation finally? Is it going to happen? Pretty much have. (laughs) Is this the the final straw? It's really interesting. So obviously um, I was a bit cheeky when we went into our budget briefing for the West Australian budget a couple of months ago. But I said to um, some of the the staffers, I'm like, so when we leave, do we get our, our, start getting our currency with the McGowan crest when we leave (laughs) or do we just write in for that? And they laughed, but I'm like, you're thinking about it, aren't you? You're really thinking about it. And like you look at Rottnest Island, you're like, could make a pretty good military base because, (laughs) but yeah. I think wow, you really thought about this. Given half the chance, I think close. West Australians would. But uh, look, I think that means giving up that sweet, sweet GST deal. And uh, that I don't think a lot of people would be ready for that. <laughs> that was Jenna Clark, the deputy editor of The West Australian and co-host of Triple M Breakfast Perth, not confirming or denying whether WA will secede. <laughs> <laughs> they won't. Um, but, you know, in effect, they have for the last 18 mm. months and they will until they hit that 90% double dose. What do you think? Do you think they've done the right thing? Hearing Jenna say that West Australians had to wear masks one time and one time only, I think that would be a pretty appealing proposition. And if you've managed to keep COVID away from your state, especially the Delta variant, which has wreaked havoc in Sydney and Melbourne, you've only got a few more months to go until you hit that 90% vax. I can see why they're sticking with it, put it that way. Yeah, and it seems to be what most people want as well. Mm. That's why the Premier is so popular. So, yeah, no doubt over the whole pandemic, they've had it much better. Tomorrow on The Briefing, we go deep on the Omicron variant. We'll find you as much information as we can, what's known so far and where we could go from here. Listener.